Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. My name is Cassie Joy Garcia. I am your host, and I am the owner, founder, blogger, nutrition consultant. Well, I guess at this point, one of the nutrition consultants behind the brand Fed and Fit. Our team is growing, and it's very exciting. And we are back with another weekly Fed and Fit Podcast episode. It's a very fun, uh, informal 30-minute show, and we like to, I like to sprinkle in the occasional dive really deep into the weeds of science, scientific topics, nutrition science topics like Dairy 101 is one that I'm working on right now. Uh, I like to invite really wonderful guests to come on and share their experience. Um, and on that note, today is kind of in line with that. I do, I like to do the occasional reverse interview, which is where a fed and fit listener slash reader writes in with a wonderful question. And instead of giving them exactly what they want, which is an email response, or however they reached out to me, whether it was through messaging or something, I asked them if they'd be willing to come on to my podcast to record our conversation with the hopes that it resonates with more folks out there, more of you that are listening. So today is just exactly one of those occasions. I'm really excited to welcome Haven onto the show today. Haven lives up in Victoria, British Columbia. She's a graduate student over at the University of Victoria. She's getting her Master of Science in Hydrology, which I really geek out over. I think that's really cool. And if you're wondering what hydrology is, because I asked, <laughs> it's essentially a, a geography type subject but um, zeroing in on focusing on water. So we're not going to talk about that today, but I think it's so neat to know what people's backgrounds are. Haven, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Cassie. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you. Well, as always with these reverse interviews, I'm going to let Haven run the show. She gets to ask whatever questions she's got. I'm at your disposal for the next 25 to 30 minutes, and we're going to have a good time. Awesome. I feel very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> you are. <laughs> the question that I wrote in about had to do with food sensitivity, specifically food sensitivity test results. So a year ago, I had an IgG allergen test done, and I found that I had dozens of food intolerances. 
Um, and you've often, I've often heard that if you have so many food sensitivities, it's really just a sign of leaky gut rather than true food intolerances. And I've been confused ever since whether these really are real sensitivities, but they should just resolve once I've managed to heal my gut, like they're not permanent, or if the results are really just unreliable because my gut is leaky and every food might show up as sensitive and it's really okay to still eat them. It's been a year and I removed the foods and I've tried to reintroduce them. I actually have had a lot of reactions reintroducing them, but I've also been a bit fatigued of feeling so limited for an entire year now and being unsuccessful and reintroducing most of these foods. So I was like, it's time to ask someone do I really need to remove these foods. Like, can I heal my gut otherwise or, or, or what is that? Does that make sense? That is, it makes perfect sense. And it's such a good question. I like to be a little bit surprised when I invite people onto the show for a reverse interview so that, uh, you really get, I think it's, I think it's fun just to fire from the hip. Um, and so I, I had, kind of forgotten the details of your question and I love it all over again. Okay. Such a great question. Um, so I would say that they, they probably showed you in your, in your test results, you know, kind of a green, yellow, red spectrum of sensitivities. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so for folks who are listening and you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, these, these allergen panels, what they'll do is they'll essentially test cross-reactivity um, to see if you have active antibodies in your body for various kinds of specific foods, bananas, pork, eggs, uh, you name it, right? They're all going to be on there, or at least a lot of the more common foods are going to be on there. And depending on the concentration of antibodies in your body that are present will tell you if you are highly reactive or not so reactive to those foods. So for example, if you eat banana every single morning and you have, let's say you also have a leaky gut syndrome and leaky gut is also known as intestinal permeability. Haven, this is obviously review for you, but I think it's good to cover for um, other listeners that are dialing in. Intestinal permeability, the concept of that is it is a very complicated one to describe accurately, but to give you kind of a misfrizzle overview, you guys remember the magic school bus overview of what goes on in the body. It's essentially that nutrients we're consuming, uh, proteins that we're consuming that are a part of every single food has protein in it, right? Has a form of protein. Uh, for example, gluten is a form of protein found in wheat. And these proteins get into our, we, we ingest them, they go through our digestive system. And if our gut barrier that intestinal barrier isn't quite strong and intact as it normally could and should be. Sometimes these proteins are not denatured properly, digested properly, um, and they find their way into our body in forms that um, aren't necessarily usable by our body or maybe they're interpreted as foreign invaders, right? And so what does our body do when these foreign proteins are floating around? Um, is they wage some form of an attack because that's what we're made to do. That's what our immune system is made to do. And so the first wave, just kind of like if you guys want to listen to Allergies 101, I had I did a podcast on that this past spring where I really dove into the science of antibody or antigens and allergens. 
Um, but essentially, let's say you get a wave of exposure, that banana that you eat every single morning, you have now have intestinal permeability with that banana. And you're eating this banana, and these banana proteins find their way into your body, and your body does not recognize these proteins as usable, right? And so what it does is the first wave it tends to ignore, but the second time it happens, it's ready. It's, it's prepared, it's created these little antigens um, that are specific lock and key designed to attack that exact protein. Um, and so what these allergy tests do in extreme layman's terms, um, I'm missing, I'm jumping over big <laughs> voids of technical details, um, but essentially what these allergy tests do is they test for these antibodies um, and these antigens in your, in your system. And let's say if you have a high concentration of little uh, warriors that your body has made to fight bananas, you know, that's probably because those banana proteins have found their way um, in and your body is just hypersensitive and ready to combat. Even though the banana protein um, won't necessarily harm you, your body's just ready to take it down. Okay, I hope, was that clear as mud? Um, I know you understand the test, but... I hope that was helpful for other folks. Okay, so her question is such a good one because let's say you go in and you get this IgG antibody test and they give you your results back and they have this green, yellow, red spectrum of where you rank for every single food that they've tested. Pork, poultry, beef, salmon, um, bananas, apples, almonds, wheat gluten, dairy, sheep milk, um, so on and so forth. And it says, let's say you've never eaten sheep's milk in your life, so you're probably going to have, it's probably going to be in the green for that one, right? Um, even, I don't know if you noticed, but if there's foods that you haven't eaten, have you, did you notice that there's foods you haven't touched as all, at all that came back as very low reactivity? Uh, yes, there were, but interestingly, there are actually some foods I've never eaten that came back as red. Interesting. So those are true allergens. Those are true sensitivities. Okay, that was my next body. question. Yeah, okay. Yes, those are true sensitivities. Um, not that the others are not true, but they could be, they could be somewhat inflated in their, in their high test result based on how much you consume them. Okay. Um, so let's say you get this test result back and you have all of these, it's across the spectrum, Let's say you eat eggs every single day and eggs came back as relatively uh, inflammatory or a reactivity in your body, so on and so forth. And so you look at these results and you scan the list and you think, well, I can only eat the things that are green. And that leaves, I'm just making this up, let's say that leaves salmon, grapes, and avocado. <laughs> You're thinking, that's all I can eat the rest of my life. And truth be told, that's, I, I personally, my personal take as nutrition consultant is that's not the case. Our bodies are made to heal. And essentially what these uh, tests do is it's a snapshot in time, right? It's just a quick litmus paper. We're dropping in at this moment. This is what's going on in the chemistry of our body, but that's not a forever sentence. And it's so easy to look at those results and think, oh, I'm allergic to eggs because these came back as relatively highly reactive between yellow and red. Even though I eat them every single morning, maybe I need to cut these out entirely for the rest of my life and go entirely egg-free. And my personal take is that's not the case. That's not true. Um, so getting to Haven's original question, she said, do I really, so you've, you took this test, you said a year ago, 
Yeah, last August. Okay, so that's a nice long time. And so typically, <laughs> so typically when we get these test results back, the idea is to cut out the reactive foods, eat only the foods that we're not reactive towards with the hopes that one of two things happens. Either A, we decrease inflammation overall, right? If our body is irritated by bananas, then let's go ahead and cut out bananas, right? If our body's being irritated by eggs, let's go ahead and cut out the eggs with the hope that it starts to really reduce an inflammatory reaction. An inflammatory reaction, that shows up in so many different ways in our bodies that can be um, painful joints, you know, even in my early, early 20s, I had knee and hip pain that was almost debilitating and it was because of food. Um, so that could be painful joints, it could be headaches, it could be showing up as bloating, just general bloating overall, um, holding on to water weight, it could show up in a number, mental fog, exhaustion, things like that, difficulty focusing. Um, so the idea is let's cut out the things that are causing inflammation in our body, those yellow and red scoring foods, so that we can reduce inflammation, hopefully get down to a baseline, heal ourselves, and then start to reintroduce. Okay, that's really the full picture. But a lot of the times, I don't think that that full protocol is delivered to folks who get these test results, at least with people who I've worked with. They get these results and they think, well, I guess I can't eat eggs or avocados the rest of my life. And that's, I really don't believe that to be true unless it's a true allergy. And that's something that really only you can test individually as time goes on. So I'm of the mindset to Haven's question that the main objective here is to heal our gut, right? So when we think about leaky gut, the visual, the very rough visual that it gives us of what's going on physiologically in our body is that we have essentially a leak in our intestine that's leaking into our body cavity, right? These proteins are flowing in and it's causing a reaction. That's technically not exactly what's happening, but it's a, it's a, it'll get us pretty close, right? And so if we heal the leak, if we patch that leak, we heal our gut, then could we start eating these foods that we don't have a true allergy to um, and our body then won't react to them? And the answer is yes, you can. There's, it's possible to heal ourselves. It's possible to reintroduce. When I first, quote, went paleo and cut out a bunch of foods from my diet, I cut out the foods that I was reactive to the most. And that included all, of, all grains, all dairy, um, and a couple other very random things. I guess not so random, artificial sweeteners, that's not random at all. I was a diet Dr. Pepper queen, but I cut out these things that I knew were causing, the, they were ca the source of the damage, not necessarily the source of the inflammation, if that makes sense. So if we yeah. look at cutting out the source of the damage, we're probably going to be able to heal the gut and then maybe eat those foods that aren't necessarily causing damage in the gut but it could be causing inflammation just because they're slipping through. So I would say, yes, focus on healing the gut, focus, focus on healing that leaky gut, and we can talk about how to do that in a second. I'm sure Haven's got a pretty good idea. Um, and then start to reintroduce some of those foods that you suspect were flagged as high um, just because you had been eating them and just because they had your body had been exposed, not necessarily because you have a true allergy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, can I ask another question just related yeah, to what you, 
go yes, for it. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I did remove these foods for my personal case. It's interesting because I removed these foods, um, tried them again after like six months. And then I tried to reduce a lot of them again this past summer, one by one. And like I was saying, it was really unsuccessful. Um, which was like disappointing to me, I think, cause like it was all fine until this past summer. I'm like, now I'm really tired of not being able to eat like some of these like very basic foods that are in everything, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I've struggled with, um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, candida, a parasite, gut, the gut dysbiosis. I just came off the pill after seven years. I was vegetarian for five years before that. Um, I was had a restrictive eating disorder two years ago. So I think my gut has just been through a lot of things. So is it possible then that even in this year of trying to combat, like specifically like targeting things in my gut with my naturopath, removing these foods, eating lots of like bone broth or like liver and other nutrient dense foods, it's just possible that I just have a lot more healing to do. And that's why I'm still reacting to these foods. That is possible. It, it, it definitely is. Healing the gut can take anywhere so for example, I have a 28-day protocol, right? That I call it the path A, the super, super fast pull, rip the band-aid off. <laughs> and I would guess, I'd be willing to, it's a very, it's an educated guess. Um, but I would guess that that 28 days really only serves about 10% of people to truly heal. Right. Most people require more. I would say at minimum, people require three months. And that's if you're just coming off of, if you don't, it sounds like you have a pretty complicated, you know, history, <laughs> and you're not alone there. I don't want you to think that you are. Um, that's it's very normal. People who struggle with one, you know, SIBO or Candida generally struggle with a lot of these things. Um, so you're definitely not alone there, and a lot of things are very related. So um, I would say that it's normal. Yeah, it's absolutely normal that it could take a year or longer to heal. And it can, be, it can be exhausting, especially if you've done any sort of a small bacterial intestine overgrowth protocol. Those are pretty daunting, um, as is candida going through the die-off phase, and it just feels like there's never light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so. But it, I, I, I can see that. And it's definitely possible that your gut is just working on getting things back, you know, rebuilding um, your naturopath sounds like they've got you on a great track with the bone broth and the really nutrient dense foods with the liver. I would focus on probiotic supplements. I'm sure you are. Um, but I would just want to touch on that. I would focus on those kinds of foods, whether you're taking the actual supplements or you're enjoying probiotic foods. Yeah, that's a great tip. Actually, um, all the foods I've been doing have been kind of on my, my own <laughs> okay. listening to your podcast and everything else, but he's been more targeting like in terms of supplements to really target these, these parasites. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's, that's really helpful. I mean, it's hard sometimes when you remove all these foods that you're supposedly sensitive to, but you don't find your symptoms improve because you have so many other things. So like a year later, I still have all of this, these symptoms or IBS stuff, but actually, so actually this made me think of a different question while we're talking about, yeah. about you have like gut permeability and it can produce these reactions to foods temporarily. Um, if my gut is still healing in this past year, is it possible that I developed new sensitivities that I'm not aware of? Like, would it, do you think it would be useful to do another? I know sometimes these tests are not super accurate, but it would be useful to do another one since it's been a year to even see if, okay, so maybe I wasn't reacting to all of these foods, but maybe some of these other foods I've been eating have caused sensitivities, or maybe I just don't want to know. 
You know, I think that it depends on you. It depends on you and your personality, right? There's some people out there that knowledge like that really helps to empower them. And if you're one of those people, then I would absolutely go get another test. I think a year is a reasonable amount of time because it's very possible that, you know, just because you cut out, I'm making these foods up for you, Haven, I'm sorry, but just because you cut out like bananas and eggs, you know, because they were highly reactive for you, doesn't mean that the day you cut those out, you, st you stop having intestinal permeability to your point. I know you know that. But just to reiterate that, so yes, it's possible. Let's say you stop eating banana and eggs, but all of a sudden you start eating way more chicken than you've ever had before, um, and then you could tap, you could develop some sort of a sensitivity to that. Even if I eat too many eggs, too much, if I eat them seven days a week, you know, for every single breakfast. Uh, even though I would not say that I have a, a high degree of intestinal permeability left anymore. I do still notice some sort of a sensitivity to it. So I have to go on and off. And that's true mm. for any food. You know, even for healthy people, it's kind of goes back to that thing that, you know, our parents really love to say and our grandparents is moderation is key. And that doesn't necessarily mean that moderation is key in terms of only have a bite of that cupcake every day instead of four cupcakes every day. What it, what it really speaks to is nutrient variability, right? Moderation is key in terms of not overdoing it in any one particular food category. You know, if I'm going to have a banana, I'm probably going to have one to two a week. I'm not going to have one every single day because it's just too much of one exact, one very particular food for my body. And because evolutionary wise, you know, your genetic constitution is going to be pretty specific to your ancestors. Um, right. As, right. As is mine to, to my ancestors. And so there's certain foods that my body is going to really thrive on and be able to handle every single day, seven days a week and others that I can enjoy every once in a while, or I might develop a sensitivity to it. Um, so it is, it's a moving target. Since it's, food sensitivities are a moving target, it's a target that moves even faster when you have active intestinal permeability, active leaky gut. Um, and so I think that if you suspect that because all of a sudden now you're eating chicken liver four times a week, I wonder if chicken's going to show up on that, uh, on that chart, then it's worth getting tested and it's worth then maybe, or if you want to get tested. Now, if you're also thinking, because if you already suspect it, then you can also just mix up your plate. Now try bison liver and beef liver and other kinds of other forms of organ meats maybe to, to get in there and get some rotations going. That's really cool. I don't think I've really gone down this path of thought before. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Cassie. Yeah, this is fun. Girl, we can geek out all day like this. <laughs> Are there um, any food sensitivity tests that you particularly prefer over others? I know that a lot of them are not, you know, the gold standard. Um, yeah, I think that the IgG, IgE antibody test is a good one. Uh, and that's probably the one that's folks can find the easiest. You can go to your naturopath. You could probably actually even get it from your GP, general okay. practitioner. Yeah, so you're okay with any, like any of the different labs that run an IgG food sensitivity test? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some out there that um, are probably going to have a higher rate of accuracy, but at the end of the day, those aren't always widely and easily found. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that I think talk to your doctors, see what see what tests they will write 
and which ones they order, which labs they work with. Do our, as a consumer, you know, we should do our due diligence, go online, Google, see what's out there. Um, and then when we get information from them, we can come back and ask more questions and see, well, I see you run this test. Would you also order tack this one on the side as well? I'd really like to add this panel. Um, and that's when we really get to kind of be collaborative in our healthcare efforts. But um, I would say that any of the information out there is going to be powerful. And you also, I don't want folks listening to think that you have to go out and get these antibody tests done. Because if there's, there's, there is an instance of being so tuned in with your body that you just know, right? Um, you just know it's time to take a break from eggs. Right. And, you know, and it's just time to take a break from maybe tomatoes. I'm actually in the opposite boat right now because I haven't had a tomato, I realize, in a long time. I'm craving Italian food all of a sudden. But your mm. body will tell you when it's time to add a food in or maybe phase a food out. Um, and you can and you can really get down to the nitty gritty of what your body is telling you by creating a food journal. And I've said this a bunch before on the show, but I'd like to, I like to reiterate it. When it comes to food journaling, I'm not necessarily promoting writing down that you had two cups of spinach, you know, and, and you weighed it out exactly, or 27 raspberries. I always use the 27 raspberries. I don't know why it's the easiest example I can think of, but I'm not saying, you know, write down to that specific amount, but you could say, write down what you quality wise, you know, what actually showed up on your plate. I had eggs and bacon and avocado and kale for breakfast on repeat for five days in a row. And now on Saturday, I'm feeling a little puffy and I'm breaking out. Right? So maybe you can look back through the food journal and you can say, you know what? Maybe it's time I take a break from eggs because I've been having them every day for the past 27 days. You know, and so it's those kinds of journaling activities that we can do, cut out eggs for seven days, keep noting of it, and then all of a sudden the acne clears up. And there's other variables in there, right? You know, time of the month, hormone cycles, things like that. Uh, but at least helps us give us a pretty good idea of what's going on in our body from day to day. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it, cool. It's a journey, I think, sometimes to like get really tuned into your body. But once you, once you do, it can be really it excited. Yeah. It is. It is a journey. And you know what? And it's a major mindset shift. I don't want people right. thinking that if this, if that doesn't come easy to you, please know that that's normal. It's normal for this to not come easy because what we've been trained to do is, especially in our, in our society, we've been trained to eat, really just eat as people tell us to eat, you know, or as we're told to eat whether that is the clean your plate club, you know, the generation uh, of our parents, what is that, Gen X? Were they Generation X in uh, 50s? Yeah, <laughs> whichever we're not, X and yeah. Y. <laughs> <laughs> the baby boomers, you know, those people. Yeah. You know, we're, t we're raised on the clean your plate club. And it's interesting when I work with my clients that are in that generation, it's hard for them to get around, to, to get over that very integral coaching that happened at a very young age to keep eating past the point of full. And so what, what does that do when you have a serving and you've taken food and it's on your plate that you finish your plate regardless of what your body is telling you? 
you know? And so what we're done, what we've done is we've, co we've been coached to stop paying attention to our body and to abide by rules. And so what we're trying to do is reverse engineer that wiring. We're trying to say, you know, listen to what's going on in your body and let that, you know, be your Jiminy Cricket. Let that be your guide um, so that you'll be able to make more specific decisions that are going to help uh, promote health for you very specifically to you. So whether that's food amount, what kind of foods you're craving, you know, your body is telling you, we just have to kind of tune in to that radio station and it takes some fiddling and it takes some practice, but we'll eventually get there. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's funny you bring that up. Um, my, my parents, when I was a child would always play that, you know, there are starving children in Africa, so finish your dinner. And so I find, like, if I go to a restaurant when the portions are huge, like, I'm, like, I'm going to finish my plate. So that's something I've been working on lately. I've started to journal while eating my dinner. Yeah. Somewhere. That's a new thing. That's, I found that's really helpful in case that helps anyone else. That's a really cool idea. I love that. Yeah, um, and you know what? Yeah, exactly. It makes us more aware. And I think starting with smaller meals, I'm not, I'm not asking that people throw away their food, but packaging it up for leftovers and not everybody loves leftovers. So maybe that's a whole nother thing to do, <laughs> but right. I do too. There are, there are people staunchly on the other side of that equation though. Um, <laughs> but you know what I've, when I was really trying to get over the volume I was eating, I'm glad you brought that up because when I was at the beginning of my journey and trying to get over how much I was eating and listening to my body, when the waiter would bring me my food, let's say now if I'm ordering a salad, I'm probably going to eat the whole salad because nutritionally that's, I know that that's what I need. Yes. Um, but let's say I'm out and I ordered a steak and a giant sweet potato and a whole bunch of broccoli. So let's say it's a huge meal for me. What I would do is I would have, I would ask the waiter, do you mind bringing me a box? And I would cut up I would cut the whole meal in half, cut half the steak, half the sweet potato, half the broccoli, put it in the to-go container so that what I'm left with is what I know to be a reasonable amount of food. And then so you just kind of have to think about it that way until your body tells you to stop eating. And then you can sit there with the full plate and stop when you're ready to stop. If that makes that's, sense. A great, that's a great strategy. I love that tip. Yeah. I've also had some friends who would just take the salt shaker, you know, the lid off the salt shaker and pour that over their food. So they would stop and that, you know, the, maybe those are the people who don't love leftovers, but I just couldn't bring myself to do oh, something yeah. like that. Restaurant are great the next day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, that was awesome. Do you have any other questions for me, Haven? I think that's all that I had um, in mind. Um, thank you so much, Cassie. Yeah. Thank you. These are yeah, this is a great conversation. I hope others found it helpful to all the Fed and Fit listeners out there. Thanks, everybody, for dialing in. As always, you can find a full transcript of today's show over at fedandfit.com under the show notes for this episode. And as always, we'll be back again next week.